0: Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 11. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider Christianity as love and truth. We hope you come along for the conversation. You can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website or iTunes. Website address is untanglingchristianity.com/slash 11. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. All right, so I've been thinking about the topic of vulnerability, putting this podcast out. uh, I've blogged a little bit about it, but I'm still working on some of those posts. So Mm -hmm. the idea of vulnerability and putting this podcast out, for me, the vulnerable side of it is, is being really blatantly honest about what I do or don't believe or where I'm at and what I'm thinking. And for any number of different reasons, that's been really scary for me. So I went to the kind of the expert on vulnerability, which is Brene Brown. I'd had her book. I followed her for a couple years, I think, and had her book Daring Greatly, and I hadn't read it. So, I don't know, about a week ago, I thought, you know... I'm feeling a little fragile now that we've started to put out all these podcasts. <laughs> what, what is this going to look like? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bolster myself up and, and read some good stuff on vulnerability. So Nice. So I'm reading Daring Greatly. I'm about a third of the way through the book. Highly recommend the book if you're not familiar with Brene Brown. There are some people that think that her other book, The Gifts of Imperfection, which is probably a f- half the length of this book, some people think it 's better than this book. I read that book some time ago, and i can 't remember I think this one 's pretty good too so i 'm playing self psychologist as i 'm reading it this morning <laughs> how 's that going for you <laughs> it 's good it 's good so I think i 'm making some i think i 'm making some connections here and and maybe they 're not connections but they 're just different things that are kind of floating around and sometimes when I throw these things to you. All of a sudden, we have these epiphanies and discoveries. So there might be one here, there might not be, but it seemed like something worth taking a shot at. So,
1: right
0: where I'm at in the book, she's talking about. I'm on page one hundred four, one hundred five. The section of this book is actually talking about shame in the context of relationships, Mm -hmm. and. As I read about, and then so she talks about shame in the context of relationships, and then she has a tie-in to love, Mm -hmm. and she defines love, and I, like, the little bells went off because I thought, oh, you and I are always talking about love, (laughs) and we've talked a little bit about defining love and different aspects of what is love and what does love look like, and so I was like, oh, Greg will like this. She defines love. He may not agree with her definition, but it's somewhere to start. It's something interesting to talk about. Then I thought about the idea of shame Mm -hmm. because she talks about, I'm going to quote some sections here in a little bit, but she talks about how shame leaves marks and how even when apologies are given that, that shame still has taken something away from us and still wounded us. And the connection I started to draw here to our conversations was shame in the Christian context. So, a few podcasts ago you raised, I can't remember how you said it, but you know, Jesus died for your sins. Therefore you should believe in him. Was that how you put that one? Yeah, I I think it was that that idea that you know, <clears throat>
1: it's it's and the shame component comes in where I think the the kind of hinge between the idea of Jesus dying for your sins and your response is it's kind of this notion of the least you could do is or so you should like this kind of, you should be, this is compelling to you or you should be compelled.
0: And if you don't, there's something wrong with you.
1: Yes. Which That's is where the, the idea. whole
0: shame thing came into play. And, and so where I went with that was, this is interesting. I wonder for myself, if the reason, uh, books like not a fan and other things that I read, I wonder if the reason that they trigger me is there's some shame component here that I have some kind of heightened awareness to, and it's immediately like, no, there's something wrong with this. I don't know why, but there's a mm-hmm. shame. It's just, I don't know, it's just kind of speculation at this point. So I'm kind of curious what you think of that idea. I can read, I can read the quote here, or did you have any initial thoughts on that? Well,
1: you know, I, I, like, the, I like the idea that, you know, you are essentially saying that you have a, a sensitivity To an ability to, to, you know, perceive when their shame is being put out as as the motivator, and I guess, I mean, I would sort of back up one step and say, you know, with with the books we've been reading, we 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 certainly have given uh, Not a Fan a very uh, close read, and we've taken a lot of time with that book. Uh, We've really just dipped into, and and maybe we'll hopefully get more into Francis Chan's uh, Crazy Love um but w- I, at, at very least with kyle alderman's not a fan because we spent so much time i think it's fair to say that what the, i'm i'm always asking myself the question and I, and through those podcasts i asked this question you know just kind of put it out there and said i'm really hoping the author was will go in this direction i'm really wondering what the author will will tell us about this and that is why are you doing this what's the motivation and in so much of this, every time I uh, I, I encounter uh, someone who's a Christian, and we kind of get into conversation, um, you know, if we do, and if it's a valuable conversation, and it's uh, you know, the, it's a respectful conversation where, where that person is interested in in talking with me, um, I'm generally interested in talking with other people about this stuff. Um, but I, I'm always curious to 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 know, and I try to be very gentle about this, you know. So so what's where does this come from for you? What, what What's involved? Why, why be a Christian? You know, and, and so often the response I hear, and I may have recounted this story to you, John, about how my daughter was speaking. She's third, she was at the time 12 and speaking to another 12 year old girl. And, uh, the, the, her, my daughter's friend said to my daughter, are you a Christian? And my daughter said, well, no, uh, no, I don't think so. Are you? And uh, the other girl said, well, yes, I am. And my daughter said, and and just asked her about that. And the the girl told her this story. She said, well, you know, my mother was talking to me and she was telling me about um, God and that I can have a relationship with God. And if I choose to have a relationship with God, then I will go to heaven. And if I don't choose to um, kind of be friends with God and uh, have a relationship with God, then I'll go to hell and so i chose to have a relationship with god and you know i'm not uh, i'm not snickering at the end of this as though you know you and i have talked the reason i would be snickering is because is there really a choice there particularly if you're 12 and i would say no there's probably not a choice
0: no um, and this is well that's the same in this is the same idea i feel like i raised a few times ago which is mm-hmm. there's it's an it's not really a choice it's kind of a no-brainer like why would you, why would anyone why would? Well, why would someone so young, but even older? Why would you say no? I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell. Like, no, why would anyone in their right mind make that Exa- choice?
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and and I think it's it's bigger than that. I think I think what I'm seeing too is that you're talking about shame, but I'm also, um, you know, I, I, uh, it's hard for me to it's hard for me not to go down this this track. So I want you to kind of uh, I'm giving you the reins and rein me in. If I go too far, but I would, (laughs) I'm just going to try to be super brief if I can, because I think this really bears on it because my background, um, has been as an abusive background. Um, when you are, when you live in a family where abuse is perpetrated and you come out of that family and, and at some point later, usually years later, you assess that and you kind of, uh, sift through, you know, what, what was my family like? What was going on? And invariably, in abusive families, there are the same traits that take place, regardless of the type of abuse, because, you know, typically, um, abuse is, is, is uh, secretive, it is shameful, and it's fearful. It's a culture of lies, deception, fear, shame, and control. And... So when you mentioned your, you know, heightened sensitivity to um, situations that uh, are really kind of run on shame, they, they are kind of driven by uh, kind of a shaming principle or a shaming uh, intention. Um, I too have that, you know, and, and perceive some of that. And so for me, I guess what, I, what strikes me from that story of my daughter and her friend is that um, there's so much fear in that situation. And, um, you know, even when it's put forward, you know, God loves me and God wants to relate to me and wants me to be uh, God's friend or God's in God, in right relationship with God, whoever it's framed. There's still that, that there's a positive side and a very, very negative side. And uh, it's hard to understand how there's enough material for somebody just to, to say, oh, this is what it means that God loves me. And, and I'm in love with God versus well, I see the good and I see the bad and I sure don't want the bad. So I'm going towards the good. And I guess the point I'm getting to here is that these uh, negative catalysts or, or, or drivers or engines or whatever they are, these negative features that prompt us to act tend to run in packs. They tend to occur together. So when I see this, when I see fear, I wonder, and I ask myself, will I find shame here? Will, Whoa, I find so <sighs> here? will I find silence here? And the silence I find is the unwillingness to engage with other perspectives. So when you begin looking at evangelical churches, my experience is they don't want to talk with and engage with people outside because they're afraid that if they do that, their faith will be threatened. Or they, who knows, maybe somebody might, t- might turn away.
0: Right? Now, I would say fear is one of the big Boogeyman, or I don't know what. I think fear is a big motivator. It's used to motivate.
1: Mm, mm, That's a good
0: word. It's used to motivate in this. It's it's kind of another tool in the toolbox. You know, either fear or shame. But I think what's fascinating, what you brought out, is that there's a relationship between the two of them.
1: Well, there's a guy, you know, and I hate to get well, huh? I don't know if I hate or not. (laughs) It's
0: (laughs) going to get get philosophical on us.
1: No, I'm going to get dark, like dark as hell. Uh-oh. I seriously, because I want to bring up Primo Levi. So Primo Levi is a Jew who went through the um, the, the Nazi concentration camps in, sec- in the Second World War. And he's a philosopher and a thinker. And out of uh, those experiences, he wrote uh, a number of books. But he talks about – and and I – I'm hesitant, I'm hesitant, but I want to try to take this principle without trying to imply that everything he said happens in churches, okay? If we can just kind of, uh, if I can put that little caution in front of what I'm going to say next. He talks about evil occurring in networks, that there are always networks, that there's always collusion, that there are always, and and I mentioned some of the different motivators and catalysts that run in packs together, you know, fear and silence and shame. And um, I think that's really important to look at. I think even though I'm not typically talking about churches being evil, that's a pretty strong um, descriptor. But um, I think what he has observed about human nature can really help us understand. Again, I, I'm not, uh, I don't want to apply that word evenly with a big, broad brush, but I do want to say that when you know, I've gone into churches and I find that I can't start conversation. I can't people sort of everybody has it's almost seems to me like everybody has their blinders on and on the one hand, I think to myself, well, part of being able to have good discussions is 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 having the experience of having had them. It's almost like being mentored in having good discussions and you and I have been to Le Brie, and I think i at least I'll speak for myself my ability to discuss ideas and even to be open to other people discussing things that I may not agree with or may not be comfortable with was really expanded by going through that process and almost being mentored through that process.
0: Yeah, sometimes so on in hand, a in a very painful way. <laughs>
1: sometimes, yeah. <laughs>
0: like it, 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 almost an acquired taste.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. And so you, I, I would say that in, in many churches, I don't know that that takes place. And so I can on the one hand say, I don't think that's probably a culture that's that's in this church or a skill set that's been developed. But on the other hand, I would almost, I, I also ask myself, are people putting their heads, you know, kind of, are they all kind of colluding together not to question things? Not openly, not, you know, they haven't sit, sat down and had a meeting called the, uh, you know, we're not going to question things meeting. But sometimes in certain church contexts, it's so so uh Widespread that I, I wonder.
0: Yeah, I would be. I don't. I feel like evil is too strong to use there. I, I would, well, no, I can see. I, the, I see the con. I'll see the network concept. That's a good way to put it. So we evil, don't. Have evil kind of, seems. I don't know a scale of one to ten. I mean, evil is like a ten. I don't know what I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would. I guess I think more of the church culture is is maybe more. There's a, Conformity like, is mm-hmm. more the rule. Mm-hmm. Which is really
1: interesting when um, you've got a bunch of people who are supposed to be hanging out together because they're in a love relationship. Love does not prompt conformity. Love prompts creativity, inspiration, dedication. It prompts people to do things that are, you know, we say that love and madness are close together. So I suppose if there's conformity in doing things that are, that demonstrate, you know, um, dedication, inspiration, creativity, if it's that type of conformity, then I think you've got a great place there, but I don't often see that.
0: And I would speculate, and I'm wondering if there's a tie in here because going back to, Brene Brown's book, she's mm-hmm. she's taking things in the direction of self-love. Mm-hmm. And you've raised that topic as well before. Mm-hmm. And she's raising the idea of you... And it's funny, she's just like, uh, eventually I'll just read this whole thing here, but she's, <laughs> she's, she's basically saying that as much as she hated what she found in the research, the ability to love is really grounded in the ability... To self-love. Yeah. And so the way I'm tying this all together is when I think back on Not a Fan, there were some pretty strong sections in there where self-love was not even a possibility.
1: Oh, very much so.
0: Because you were supposed to be, I don't know if he used the words, but I think we coined the phrase, become a zero. That there was... One section of the book, it's funny, I can still almost see the page in my mind. It was all about when becoming absolutely nothing, and then God will make you into something. John, I'm right there with you. I'm flipping the pages. The book is in my hands. It's like on the right side. It's a right-facing yeah. page. Is
1: yeah. That- <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy that we both remember this. Well, <clears throat> that whole part about uh, the Holy Spirit. So I'm on page ninety five and it 's a right facing page um, when he talks about the only way to be filled with the spirit is to empty myself of me and then a, a bit further down the page when the Holy Spirit moves in and takes up residence, then you should increasingly find there isn't much room for you i, I couldn't i couldn 't think more oppositely god is God is deeply in love with and interested in me, and God desires that my character be conformed to a right character. But in terms of personality, in terms of the the meanness of how that character is expressed and the creativity and responsibility through which that is embodied into the world, God is thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly desirous for me to show up as it were. There's plenty of room for me. There's plenty of room for the spirit. It's like saying, listen, you know what? We've got one child. Now we're going to have another one. And that means there's less love to go around. (laughs) If you understand love, you understand that that is the most ludicrous concept. And when you apply it to the number one love relationship that should exist in a human being's life, if, if 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 you're a Christian, it's exactly the same concept. So the idea of like you have to become a zero or... There isn't much room for you or you have to empty yourself of you. You got it all – I think he's got it all wrong there.
0: Well, and I, I want to – I guess I'm a little hesitant even as you're saying that. What we don't know, I don't – what I don't – what we don't know is whether he would agree that self-love equals – if emptying yourself is the opposite of self-love. I guess I'm wondering if we're putting words in his mouth. Well, I, I would still walk away from
1: that. I mean, I, emptying yourself. I, I was even thinking of it just in terms of personality, in terms of who you are.
0: No, I totally, I, mean, I, I totally agree with you there. I, I was just kind of cutting it back against my original thought. I'm wondering, eh, is that a fair one?
1: Yeah. Well, maybe the other way of looking at it that I've often heard expressed is. Uh, essentially it boils down to this idea that if I do something right, it's God. It's like the Holy spirit in me doing something right. And if I do something wrong, it's me. So the me is kind of all the wrong stuff, all the bad stuff, all the mistakes and all the good stuff is God. And I think that God would say, no, absolutely not. You know? Um, And I, I think somebody like, if you read the apostle Paul and you really take seriously what he's saying, he doesn't say that at all. He's, he was a Jew of the Jew. He kept the law. He kept the law. He literally kept the law. He didn't break the law. You know, had everybody done what he had done, uh, the this, this story would have been different. Um, so it's not, you know, and he's not talking about being sinless. Keeping the law does not equal being sinless. It means keeping the law. It means when you would commit an offense, you would make reparation for that offense in the proper way, which may involve sacrifice um, in the, you know, in ancient Near Eastern uh uh, times in, in f- for uh, Israel. But um, I think part of that, just that whole idea, it, whether it's personality or whether it's, you know, I never do right things, I never do good things, I never do valuable things. And so I've got to be less and less myself so that there can be more and more of God. But the idea is that, you know, God's in relationship with you. God's not looking to get rid of you. God's not looking to take you over. God's looking f- for you to be the most and best you that you possibly can be through being in right relationship with God. That's what's supposed to be going on. So we don't lose ourselves. And this whole idea of self-love comes out of, you you know, I, I know that I go to bed some nights and I've been a jackass at certain points in the day and I don't like me. Well, when you turn it around and you realize, you know, it's a different day, different set of circumstances and you've really done some you made some good calls i go to bed i sleep well loving myself is a lot about in the context of being in relationship with god is is in the context of i love who i am becoming through being in that love relationship with god and so that whole piece it's it does come out of that relationship with god but it isn't about me sort of disappearing or being second place or any of that
0: well and that's i i think this is a good time actually to read some of this because she talks about the idea Mm -hmm. of practicing that love is a practice
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so i'm on page 105 Um, some of this kind of doesn't apply to what we're talking about but some of it does so i'm just going to read some sections of it and then we'll see what you tell me if it ties in or not. So, okay. So, and
1: you're in the book called Daring Greatly Daring by, Bre- by
0: Brene Brown, page 105. Okay. If okay. you asked our- us today – so she's talking about th- – this chapter is on relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm stretching it a little bit to apply to Christianity and love, but I, th- I think it works. So she says, if you, ask me, if you ask us today what we believe is the key to our relationship – she's talking about with her husband – the answer would be vulnerability, love, humor, respect, shame-free fighting and blame-free living. We learned some of that on our own through good old trial and error, but we also learned from work and the research persi- But we also learned from work and the research participants who were brave enough to share their stories with me. I'm so grateful to them. And then she talks about the pain of feeling shame. And then she continues, Thankfully, we can apologize for shaming someone we love, but the truth is that those shaming comments leave marks, and shaming someone we love around vulnerability is the most serious of all security breaches. Even if we apologize, we've done damage because we've demonstrated our willingness to use sacred information as a weapon. The link I want to make there is, (laughs) she's talking about kind of, we're vulnerable with our partner, they use that information against us, It hurts us very deeply. I would like to place kind of God and Christianity at somewhat the same level. When those things are used in ways of, you know, surely you would believe because of this, or how can you not do this or not believe this because of that, or um, I think those things cause similar damage.
1: I'm smiling. I'm
0: nodding. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're right on. I think that's a great parallel. Okay, so she continues in the Gifts of Imperfection. That's her other book. I shared the definition of love that I've developed based on my data. Here it is: We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known, and when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that. When we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow. A connection that can only be cultivated between two people where it exists within each one of them. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. Shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Love can only survive these injuries if they are acknowledged, healed, and rare. So the... The self-psychological analysis that I do on myself here is I say, huh, if I felt some of this shame and other things in the Christian church context, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is that some of the reason that I find some of these things to be so triggering? Great question. What do you think? I think so. I think so. I'm not sure to what degree or exactly where those connections are, but Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I do think there's something to that. Uh, So there's a couple more sections, and I'm curious what you think about this. So carrying on. She says, developing this definition was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Professionally, it just seemed arrogant to try to define something as big and as important as love. It felt like an endeavor best left to the poets and artists. My motivation was not to nail it, but to start a conversation about what we need and want from love. I don't care if I'm wrong, but let's talk about love. Let's have some conversations about the experience that gives meaning to our lives. I love that. That's what we're doing here. That's low. So, and along the theme of vulnerability and putting yourself out there, Mm -hmm. I'm really doing that in these podcasts. I mean, I'm guessing some people might think, oh, you know, John just published, you know, is just doing these podcasts to, to grind an ax and to, you know, Get stuff out there. Well, it's to get stuff out there, but part of it is to, is to really – is to try to practice being vulnerable, and I'm already finding strength from it. It's, it's been very good. So, so she closes it. Uh, I'm skipping a paragraph. Then she says, as we talk about shame and love, the most pressing question is this. Are we practicing love? Yes, most of us are really good at professing it, sometimes 10 times a day. But are we walking the talk? Are we being our most vulnerable selves? Are we showing trust, kindness, affection, respect, and respect to our partners? It's not the lack of professing that gets us in trouble in our relationships. It's failing to practice love that leads to hurt. Mm. Hmm. So I just thought in the context of the books and things that we talk about, it's really easy to talk about these concepts. It's really... But but you got to you got to live them out. You got to do them too. Yeah. And when it comes to love, yeah, I think that needs to be loved out, <laughs> loved out. That needs to be lived out. When it comes to some of these other things, they need to be lived out too or they but they don't work.
1: Yeah. I think what what I'm what I've been trying to advocate more than anything is for for a disposition towards God out of which flows the kind of directive energy required to be really to be a human being as I should be. So what I mean by that is that um, the disposition is love. It's, it has an energy, but it also has a, has a directive energy. It's taking me in, in certain directions. And um, through allowing myself, it's like being in a stream you, with, a, with, a, with a current, not a crazy stream with heavy rapids, just a, a current. You can allow yourself to go with that or you can cut back against it. And uh, you know, personally, I, I do both all the time. Um, what I want to be doing is kind of going with that current which means staying in that relationship, being vulnerable and open to God, trusting God, acting with respect to towards myself, towards the world around me, because that's part of what comes out of and goes into that relationship with God. God is not the world around me. God is not the people I see. But there is a relationship that grows out of the um, relationship that I have with God that affects all of these things, including how I respond to myself. So that whole idea of loving myself. Um, Yeah. In terms of, in terms of her, her idea of practicing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, I think that's very true. You know, so I, for instance, can't be in, I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible. I think whatever I might call, Love. If it does not, at some way, at some time, and in in, in fairly substantially, actually, if it doesn't impinge on how I act, then I'm not really sure that that is love. But I don't want to go as far. And I know, I know, we've we've kind of broached the subject. I'm not trying to. I don't want to go too far into it. But you know, M. Scott Peck has this distinct this this kind of view of love where there is no love. Like love, um, he ties together the idea of love and action. Just actually one second. I'm going to grab that book.
0: I think he starts by saying love is a decision. Yes.
1: Yep. He's, um, where is he here? Love. Yeah. He's got a different definition of love. And, and I really, I really like, like this, um, You know, love is as love does, and on the one hand, I totally agree with that. You know, but on the other hand, I think what happens is that people people do get thwarted. You know, like if someone was to say to me, um, "You know, if if uh, you know m- my abuse came through my dad, do you think your dad loved you?" Absolutely, I do. Was that real love? Yeah, I think there was real love in there. Was that abusive action loving? not in the least, absolutely not, it was the opposite of love. And and all of that has to be possible within the same situation because it it, it occurs. I mean, I think, I think I've got, I don't think I'm deluded about the idea my dad loved me, and I don't think I'm deluded about the idea that abuse is uh, the opposite of love. It's a wicked thing. And so I kind of push back against the idea that... Um, You know, M. Scott Peck has got some of these uh, the, uh, that unless you, um, unless you achieve love, unless you, unless you act in ways that, that that are loving, you don't love. And I would say yes and no. And so, as far as she's saying here about you know love and action, yes and no. You know, I think it's more complicated than that. I'm not willing to, and it takes a lot of time, right? I I have um 20 years i had 20 years with my dad 22 years you know to kind of measure this all out and then i've had years to reflect on it and we often have a lot of time with our partners too you know um but really uh, uh, i it, it will come down to you know where do things sit at the end if, if if it's dicey you know if if there's um some of these things that she's if there's betrayal if there's disrespect and blame and shame that are in within the relationship, you know? Um, how is that going to turn out? Like at the end of the day, how are you going to? I define. My, I would say my dad loves me, and he he did love me, not during those moments, but you know, after, before, etc. Yeah. So I guess I like this, but I guess it's 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 broader because we do live through situations where. we're we're deeply mistreated. And uh, we, um, I mean, I like what she says there, that line at the top of 106, love can only survive these injuries if they are acknowledged, healed, and rare. And I would say, I would change that line and say, love can only with certainty survive these injuries if they are acknowledged, healed, and rare. It may well survive them if these Injuries are unacknowledged, unhealed, or multiple, but it's not certain that it will. And I think that's that's another part of it, that because it's been so much a part of my existence, for me when I read that, it's just, it's glaringly absent. So I don't think that takes away from what she's done or the truth of what she said, but it's, you know, she's she hasn't captured all of it. That That's kind of my first feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. So for you, it's a little more nuanced.
1: I think so because you have to deal with those those kind of marginal situations where you know I don't I don't have a struggle with my dad per se. Like I don't I don't I'm not sitting here. I, I really don't think this is going on inside my head where I have to say, listen, at the end of the day, you have to say you love this guy. So how are you going to be able to do that? I mean, I I don't really care. And there are certainly have <laughs> been moments in my life where I'm going through this, and I I just cannot I cannot think badly enough of, of, of this person. You know, my, 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 my dad did a lot of good things, a lot of valuable things I learned. I've learned some valuable lessons and things, you know, from him. I mean, um, but yeah, some of this is just, uh, it's, it's gritty. And I think, I think part of maybe, maybe another big part of this that I would really point to is that where these injuries are unacknowledged. So with my dad, unacknowledged, unwilling to do so. Healed? Yeah, I think they are healed. Rare? No, they weren't that rare. So where um, where things get a little more gritty, that's, for me, where this relationship with God is, is really, really important, is really necessary, because I don't have... I don't have the context within myself to love,
0: yeah, I was just going to ask you, so do you do you believe then that God healed those things Ah, uh,
1: yes, and no, yes, I think God is ultimately responsible, but for me, the experiences were personal experiences with other people. It wasn't sitting in my room reading scripture. And I think that's why I, I kind of balked at Francis Chan's perspective. We we talked about Francis Chan in Crazy Love. I think it was page 36. I'm just going to flip there. Um, yeah. No, no, no. It's a little bit later on where he's talking about reading about how um, – And this is what is page 57, pardon me. My own love and desire for my kids' love is so strong that it opened my eyes to how much God desires and loves me. I came to understand that my desire for my children is only a faint echo of God's great love for me and for every person he made. And I would say that understanding that way, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that we as Christians don't read the Bible and and things in a certain sense come to life to us. We, we, we kind of, uh, they click and their significance. We, we kind of get a much broader sense of that. But one thing I would say very clearly is that love is not a cognitive phenomena to be understood rationally. It's an experiential reality to be lived. And so for me, when you ask me the question, did God's, you know, uh did god heal that i think god did because i think god was deeply involved in the situations with real people who offered me you know i can i can i can tell you the situations and i can tell you what happened and and why they were significant to me and i can conjecture that they would be significant to anybody in my situation and why i think that god was involved and so did did God heal me in that way f- uh, from those things? Yes, definitely. And, 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 you know, one of the big pieces was that um, I literally embraced, not literally, but I, I, I accepted the love of somebody that I thought was um, deeply respectable and that I loved as a father who loved me as a son. And that was in the context of this crazy sort of uh, situation of, of being at Libri as as someone who is not a Christian, and uh, and finding all of us and trying to you know get rid of Christianity, and finding all of a sudden that you know the effects of uh, my familial abuse were on the one hand much greater than I thought they were, and yet in the same context you know, in the same place, um, uh, very shortly thereafter, experiencing this tremendous bond and, and, and love with somebody who, uh, you know, offered to be a father to me. And it's crazy. I mean, stuff like that doesn't happen. Right. And, and, uh, I'm not giving you any details because we just don't have time here. <laughs> this would, take, <laughs> this would take a long time to explain. No, I, when I,
0: even when I asked you that question, I was like, I bet this is a really big question. It just <laughs> popped into my head, so I'll ask it.
1: Yeah, but I think, I think this is what God does, though. I think by knowing us, th- so I think two things. On the one hand, God knows us more truly than we know ourselves. God knows what we need, therefore. On the other hand, God loves us more deeply than we love ourselves. So, God comes to us in ways that um, we need. And yet I th- I think I'm going to, my, I guess my stance, my hunch is that these things are always, always contain aspects of love and aspects of truth. God knows us truly. God offers us true things about who we are and acknowledges and, 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 uh, Affirms the true things that we know about ourselves and about God and about the world, and yet God is love, right? So how that's going to work out for you or for somebody else, I don't know. You know, somebody may need uh, patience. They may need a deep and profound expression of patience, or compassion, or gentleness, or literally being loved. Somebody saying, "Somebody saying, I, I would love to have you as my son." You know, those are the words that I heard. And um, being introduced to somebody's family, saying as though to say, I'd love to have you as my child. And um, these are your surrogate uncles and aunts. These are my brothers and sisters. This is your surrogate family. You know, for somebody who's come out of a family, an abusive background, when you're in a position of getting, having gotten to know somebody and realizing that you deeply respect them and, and, and deeply value the the relationship you have with them. And, uh, I, I remember, I'll tell you one little tidbit to make some more sense of this. I remember being in this, this person's house and, uh, one of the, one of the, I was, I was in there working, uh, and one of the kids threw a tennis ball and, and, uh, this fellow's wife, called out and, and yelled, at the, yelled at the child and said, in a, in, a, in a kind of a playful way, and said, you know, get to your room. And the child said, Greg, Greg threw it. And I did. <laughs> Wait, and you? she said, I'd <laughs> thrown it. I'd thrown it at him. He threw it at me. I threw it back at him, and he, I missed him. And, it, and it, it landed someplace near, close by to her. And she said, you know, get to you. And she said, get to, your, to the child, get to your room. And then uh, the child said, uh, oh, Greg threw it. And I said, uh, and she said, Greg, get to your room. <laughs> and, and it was a, it's a striking thing. I think it's a, it's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. When you come from a situation that's very bad, a familial situation that's very bad. And you can say, wow, imagine that. And I, I, this, this probably won't make sense to you and I'll try to do it justice. But um, in a household where you fear to be loved, it is a wonderful thing in a place where you feel deeply loved and accepted even to be in effect punished because punishment in a house or in a family where you are deeply loved and respected is not punishment. It's not, uh, it's not the type of punishment, even that the love that I often, the things that went by the name of love in my family, I'm not sure if you, if I, if I'm making that clear enough, but, um,
0: well, I think well this this whole thing is interesting cuz while you were talking I thought you were talking about God and then I was like where are you talking about a real person or a real I'm family talking <laughs> and then and family. then you were like you're like oh and then I was in these people's house I was like okay he's not talking about God he's talking about some people so what I think I'm getting from what you're and I'm picking up from what you're laying down is that you experienced God in this family and in the way that this person sounded like they were a little mad at you or frustrated but also being maybe a little bit playful there was a level of acceptance or or the idea that, or the idea of being punished in that context would not in any way be anything close to the evil that you experienced yeah.
1: Sort of, and you know what? I appreciate you. You, uh, I appreciate us going going down this road. I appreciate us going down this kind of convoluted road. And if we end up cutting this, then we end up cutting this. I'm I'm quite happy with it. But I think this is a type of thing that A is really important for me to say, and B I'm probably going to have to take a couple stabs at it. But essentially, what I'm saying is, I had a context of six months, maybe more, with this person working with in proximity with this, this fellow, being uh, spending time with this fellow in uh, his, his family context and seeing how his children were treated, how, how he and his wife treated their, 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 uh, their sons, and uh, realizing that I would rather have been in a house like that, that it would be wonderful even to be punished in a house like that, in a place where you are loved and respected and wanted, then it would be to be in a house where in a home where uh, you you experience abuse, and there's a particular incident there are a couple particular incidents that i haven 't brought out at all, which are key to this piece about God so what i've told you so far isn't 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 as much about that it certainly is about experiencing love in a context uh, in a family context that's healing, right? And I think that's really powerful. I think what she's talking about here, when she's talking about, um, love is not something we give or get. Well, it's something that we nurture and grow. Okay. But I guess maybe if we're nurturing it and growing it, it's something that's much bigger than we are. So in other words, I don't know. I think I was very much loved in that family, And I think that even if it wasn't the direct sort of loving that you might associate, so in other words, it was even loving to be included in a way in that family, in the sense of, you know, you're one of my children, so therefore I'll chastise you as though you're one of my children. Hard to explain, I think.
0: No, I... I, Well, what I hear you saying there is the sense of being included, of being welcomed in. You... You had no blood relations to them, but yet they were treating you as one of their own family. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And
1: and just the the kind of off-the-cuff funny comment that um, the woman made was enough for me to reflect on the differences between that household and my own home and realize how much better it would have been to be in that house. And that that moment... It was a delightful thing. It was a welcoming, embracing thing to think of being sent to my room, as opposed in, in, as opposed to um, being given whatever I might be given in my family of origin, and yet feeling, through the effects of the abuse, the shame, uh, the secrecy, uh, all of that, that I'm unwanted. Uh, and unlovable. So it it really puts a spin on, um, you know, this idea that uh, love involves us doing good things for other people. Uh, I think love involves us being rightly with ourselves and towards ourselves and towards others. And part of that was, you know, that I experienced was, was, as you say, being included, uh, joked around that, you know, hey, you know, you're, you're here and if you break the rules, then you might get sent to your room. <laughs> and you know, I'm an adult. I'm an adult too. I was an adult. <laughs> he was a kid. I was an adult, right? And so I'm like, she's obviously kidding with me, but, it, but it, felt so, it felt so incredibly welcoming and it made me reflect on the differences between being punished, quote unquote, in that house and being loved in my own house. And I would prefer to be punished in that house than loved in my own. And I think that's one of the huge things, and I think somebody who's come through an abusive background, you know, if listeners have that, that, that and they've got that ex- same experience I do, that they'll deeply resonate with that. And if they don't have that experience of being loved someplace else, um, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's key to what God seeks to do in the lives of people, every, pe- every person. And some people need that in more powerful and direct ways than others do. Hey sorry uh that was so 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 uh it's good and you know we're getting to the we're getting to some stuff that's really really good and really important um but it's it's i am going to have to put that stuff on the table at some point okay, okay. you know and it's going to cycle right i think it's i think what's going to what's starting to happen is, is it's going to start cycling through
0: mm-hmm. no i and, i just think it's hilarious it's like no matter what i pick up or whatever you are reading, like it all <laughs> kind of comes back to these same themes in different ways. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I think I think those themes themes are central, and
1: that's that 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 is honestly what I'm what I'm really wagering on. You know, I'm. I I I believe it firmly because I've experienced it, and it makes sense to me when I read the text. Everything kind of comes together that human beings are are built. We are made. We are part of what we love and truth are co-central. They're core to what we are, who we are. We need those two things. We need to be loved and we need to be loved rightly. We need to know ourselves and, and, and know ourselves truly and be truly deeply accepted, which is being deeply loved by those whom we love. And that this is also core and co-central to who God is and who the Christ, what the Christian faith is. And this is why these two fit together. This is why human beings and human being, the way of being that is human, is best expressed and, and, and given life to in the context of this relationship, this type of relationship with God. And that's also why it pisses me off, why I get upset, frustrated, angry, sad when I hear expressions of Christianity and experience ways of talking about and putting, you know, describing God, presenting God to people that, that just undercut this so radically. And I guess, you know, having been a Christian on the one hand, having left Christianity for seven years, having come back, the old Christianity I had didn't work. And, and I am now a Christian again, not because I figured out that I, that I just stuff I didn't figure out before or because I made a mistake or just got too mad and needed to smarten up and just kind of admit my problems or surrender all to God. I am still an atheist with regard to that past Christianity. I will fight that and I will, I will work against that. And, and, and there is a certain, I almost want to say kingdom that that represents that I am thoroughly opposed to, because I do not believe it works. I do not believe it, it best represents who God is. I do not believe it, 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 it calls forth an embodiment of, of being human that is who we should be, who we best can be, who we most want to be. And all of this, we've got to take all of this into perspective. We, we can't just go from the Bible. We can't just read life from the perspective of the Bible. We can't just read the Bible from the perspective of life. We need to bring this together. We need to draw this together. This is my very deep, deep, deep wager. This is my belief. I'm staking my life on this. I'm living my life this way. And, and anyone who would listen, uh, who is interested in this conversation, I would engage from this perspective. And, um, you know, I'm interested in what other people think and I'm open, but, uh, I, I've been deeply convinced of this. You know, it was a huge, huge deal. I remember for me to come back to Christianity. And I remember when I came back and I was sitting at Brie and I was sitting with my, my tutor and we sat in silence for 20 minutes. I said nothing. I looked at him. I looked away. 20 minutes. No one said anything for 20 minutes. And I finally said to him, I'm sitting in his in the room in, uh, in a rec room, and I said, "Do you know what I see in this room? I see a whole bunch of me's. They're they're sitting all around the room. I don't know if you can see them. They're me at different points in my life, me thinking about and living in the midst of different experiences. And some of them are applauding what I'm going to say, and some of them are cursing me and spitting in my face." It was not an easy decision and it was not as though I was completely, you know, oh, this is just definitely the way to go. But I said, I, I am. I believe that God is there. I believe that God has shown up for me in ways that I cannot deny. And it would be immoral and improper and just downright untruthful for me not to be a Christian. But it was a very hard thing to be able to say. Even though I knew I had no, at this point I had no choice because, well, I did have the choice. I could, I could choose to deny everything I'd seen and everything I'd experienced and I could choose to lie to myself. But then I become something that I abhor. And I'm not going to do that. And that's part of the whole process. In other words, me being the me I want to be is also me being in right relationship with God. I cannot have the one without the other. I can't. And I think for other people listening, maybe you haven't had those experiences with God. Maybe you can't say that. And that's cool. And that's legit. But I had to say it because I did have those experiences. And that, that whole idea of how experiences move between one person and another, or hey, you experienced this and I didn't, so it's good for you and not good for me. That's a totally different discussion. It's an important one, but it's different.
0: Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 11 if you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news subscribe to our mailing list also available at the website we welcome your questions comments or suggested future discussion topics by email send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com music on this podcast is made available by kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a creative commons license Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com, I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H dot com. Tune in next week for a new episode.